we have just leapfrogged from one crisis to another. Probably the most important number in, in sort of world economics is the Fed funds rate. This uh, uniform, pessimistic mood does mean that we are probably close to the bottom. Hello. Are the uncertainty and volatility in markets temporary, or do they mark a new paradigm? This podcast has covered war, the pandemic, and inflation in the past, but now you can add in policy mistakes and shifting geopolitics. What's an investor to do? As it happens, I've got two of Fidelity's best to give us their advice, alongside our global economist. I'm Richard Edgar, and this is Rich Pickings, Fidelity's Asset Allocation Podcast. Well, with me today are global macroeconomist Anna Stubnitska, fixed income portfolio manager Ian Fishwick, and multi-asset portfolio manager Charlotte Harrington. Thank you all for joining me. Hello, Hi, Richard. Richard. Hi. Well, the spasms that we've seen on markets recently, particularly the UK government uh, bond market, they have been exceptional. Um, Charlotte and Ian, what's it like to be managing money in this environment? I guess the phrase I would use is nerve-wracking. I mean, it's just pretty... Um it's pretty difficult for obvious reasons and um, obviously very hard to know what to do. And I kind of ag- agree with all those people in the past who have said the best thing to do is just go out for a walk, try and keep your head clear and then come back and think again about kind of what the real value is and, and, and what's really going on. Keeping a clear mind. Yeah. Charlotte, how about you? Yeah, I think a similar perspective. I suppose one of the difficulties, uh, obviously, they're sort of taking views and being right on those views. And that's very, very important and critical indeed, but actually constructing portfolios when the volatilities of asset classes are so variable um, actually can be quite challenging. And when we look at this year, we've sort of seen correlation breaks between different asset classes and different markets on a weekly basis is just a sort of the norm. Uh, and that just makes it a lot harder. So your your Lego building blocks aren't doing what they're meant to be doing. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. And Ian, I know you're on the fixed income team and um, you meet regularly um, to discuss what's going on in the market. It's been the epicentre of of markets um, of late. What's the tone like in those discussions? Generally quite constructive. I think uh, everybody's trying to figure out what the opportunities are. I think that's the the key thing to, to remember that when there's huge volatility, there are usually opportunities in there somewhere. Um, And uh, yeah, just just trying to find those opportunities and and take advantage of them if if possible. Charlotte, maybe this one for you. How do you keep abreast of these changes when it's it's moving so quickly as you described? I think, um, and I'm certainly interested to hear what Ian thinks on this, but I think one of the biggest challenges this year is we have just leapfrogged from one crisis to another. So whether it was Russia, zero COVID in China, um, Asian FX reserve selling, UK LDI problems. And at the heart of all of this is one key driver, which is Fed tightening, higher US real rates, causing problems throughout the world. Um, But it goes back to that correlation point as you sort of leap from one crisis to another, everyone's attention sort of gets dragged in that direction. Um, And and so I think that that is the major challenge is sort of trying to be a little bit forward looking in terms of where you think the next problem might come and also knowing that the key theme throughout all of this is is the Fed and that real rate move. And I absolutely agree with that. I mean, I, one thing that it, I haven't mentioned yet, it is quite exhausting. You know, it, it, we really have, as Charlotte's just described, gone from sort of one crisis to the next. And um, 
the diagnosis I also agree with that behind it all, you know, is that policy tightening, which is certainly going on in the US, is going on everywhere else. And I think, you know, we've seen this extreme volatility in the UK, but it pays to remember that probably the most important number in in sort of world economics is the Fed funds rate. And uh, that has been going up too. Okay, well, let's bring Anna in now, actually, uh, Anna Stupnitska. Now, you're just back from Washington, D.C., um, uh, hanging out at the IMF World Bank meeting. Um, I think you came back more or less the same time as former Chancellor Kwasi Kwarteng. But um, uh, him aside, it must have been a pretty sobering trip as well. It was, Richard. I would say the overall mood was very gloomy. Uh, with the main tagline, uh, the worst is still to come and no upside risks uh, anywhere, particularly in Europe. So this, uh, there was a lot of focus uh, on the themes and obviously the shocks that Charlie just mentioned, the risks of recession. Uh, while the IMF and the World Bank are not forecasting global recession for now, but they are expecting a much sharper slowdown than before, uh, with contraction, outright contraction in some European countries, particularly Germany and Italy. Uh, of course, there is a lot of focus on central banks and how much tightening is enough and what this means for financial stability. Uh, focus on the Russian invasion of Ukraine, what this means for energy markets in the short term and in the long term as well. An awful lot of um, problems in the world. I don't know if you could hear, but there was an audible intake of breath from Charlotte then when you said the worst is yet to come. Um, Charlotte, not what you wanted to hear. Uh, well, <laughs> it would be nice for things to calm down a little bit. But I think fundamentally that is only going to come when we see the Fed claim victory on their inflation on targets inflation, and, yeah. and start to yeah. uh, ease off a bit. And I suspect we're not a million miles away from that. But uh, there's kind of two ways in which that can come about. The first one is the data conforms and falls into line. But at this stage, you know, we feel like we need that quite quickly or something breaks and, you know, it's it's the final moment. But who knows what that is? And they change tack. On, on a slightly more optimistic note, um, Anna, I think you felt that perhaps this might have been the trough of pessimism when you've got so much gloom in the room. Um, does this suggest that actually this is this is the darkest point? And um, what is it? It's uh, the night is always darkest just before dawn, something like that. Was there any any glimmer of hope that you can you can give us from that meeting? I think it might be the case. It, it's very much consensus, consensus mood, consensus view among policymakers and among investors. So that that did make me think that maybe we are at the bottom, particularly in terms of the optimism uh, or the pessimism uh, for Europe. A lot of it is priced in. Recession is expected. Winter is going to be bad, even worse if the weather is cold. Um, so I think relative to expectations, we might actually see some upside support prices. Um, and that's why I noted the water still to come, because I think that that does happen. And this this uh, uniform, pessimistic mood does mean that we are probably close to the bottom. Yeah, I mean, if I may, I just say definitions are always important in this sort of situation. And it's possible that from the sort of IMF perspective, the worst is yet to come, certainly in terms of, you know, printed growth rates and all that sort of stuff. But of course, markets are forward looking and um, we know the winter's coming, et cetera, et cetera. So hopefully we can discount this sort of thing. And um, maybe it is true that we are uh, already close to sort of trough pessimism, if that's the right way of putting it. I think one of the interesting things here is, again, across, across the asset classes, some of 
big, if you look at sort of equities versus currencies, for instance, a lot of um, currency weakness is actually sort of in places like Europe has actually sort of flattered the earnings a little bit. We could have a bit of a switch here. I wonder if, you know, the, the sort of the equity outlook doesn't look so great, but but actually currencies have, have moved so fast, so fast, they become a bit less of a driver. Um, we, ha- we have to see, but but it's certainly possible. We've talked about monetary policy and the way that the Fed, for example, is, is you know, um, forging ahead on its uh, attempts to, to kill off inflation, leading leading the way there. Um, what about financial stability, though? Because when you've got all of those policymakers gathered in one place, um, Anna, um, and the UK had just happened um, with the uh, the blow up in the LDI market, what, what were people saying there about um, the UK and I suppose, more importantly, the lessons that can be learned for elsewhere? I think it was very interesting because financial stability concerns are very widespread among investors now. Uh, Investors are worried about the implications of rapid tightening and the risks of over-tightening. But at the same time, policymakers worry about uh, the risks of under-tightening and not being able to stabilize inflation. Um, So sort of very skewed... Um, uh, very skewed perceptions there. Um, and policymakers do recognize that we are in a regime shift with much higher real rates, and that's going to put a lot of pressure on various segments of the market. But they're very much focused about getting inflation under control, uh, focused on uh, getting inflation under control. Um, and, and they believe that um, the, there's a number of additional instruments that they can use to address financial stability. And indeed, the Bank of England was used as a main example. UK is a warning shot uh, and various uh, other expressions uh, about the UK. And everyone is paying attention. Um, and so the lessons, I think, from the episode um, is... Um, that it's very hard when monetary policy and financial stability instruments are moving in opposite direction. So it was fine during COVID um, when monetary policy obviously was moving towards easier stance, financial stability instruments were supporting that. Now it's opposite directions and it's very difficult for central banks to communicate that. So that's one lesson and I think the Fed is watching very closely. And the second, uh, the second point uh, to make is that, as was noted, actually the Bank of England has a very strong financial stability framework. But even with that, that, within that framework, they missed the LDI issue. So that has serious implications for the Fed and other central banks. So the the fire alarms that the Bank of England had set up with all of the various committees and authorities that there are to try and ensure financial stability hadn't worked. Um, Alarming for for those in the States. So the fire alarms went off. (laughs) I'm sorry to extend this metaphor a little bit too far, but the Bank of England has then come in with some fire extinguishers. Um, Ian, as as we record this on Tuesday afternoon, things have settled down in, in, in bond markets in the UK. Yeah, absolutely. I think it is worth saying, I guess, they came in with those fire extinguishers fairly quickly once they'd recognised the sort of feedback loop that the market had got itself into. And uh, clearly, uh, a lot of water has flown under the bridge, even in the 10 days or so, whatever it is since then. But but things have, have settled down a bit. If I may just add, I think the one thing that everybody does know is that markets are always more volatile um, when they're going down than when they're going up. And um, sort of tightening of, of financial conditions, which is what central banks have been driving towards 
all year necessarily therefore it entails some risk of that so obviously it's good to know that they are kind of looking carefully at it Look, looking yeah. out for, for for this okay keeping a lookout well all of this um does make investing a very tough business but um just before we sat down to record this episode of rich pickings i spoke to fidelity's chief investment officer andrew mccaffrey and asked him how this backdrop is feeding into the core asset allocation So as we uh, end October, that um, markets have clearly been under more stress. But with that, they have uh, seen levels that are getting to you know, more interest in um, uh, valuations. But we still retain a reasonable level of cash. Uh, we have retained a position in the dollar, um, very slightly overweight. Uh, in credit, we remain defensive, but looking to take on some duration and uh, have investment grade as opposed to high yield where we have exposures. Um, and in the equity market that's still hiding out really in the US market at this stage, but with a view to still look for opportunities around the emerging and Asia markets uh, over time. Andrew McCaffrey, and you can hear more from him in our latest CIO update over on the Rich Pickings podcast channel. Now, um, back in the studio, how are you taking this into account in your own allocations, Ian? So I think the first thing to say is actually I think on the sort of interest rate front it's become so unpredictable that I've tried to keep a pretty um, sort of neutral view with regard to interest rate sensitivity in in my portfolios. Um, but I have to say on, on on credit I've actually become a little bit more positive of of late, um, just because valuations have changed quite significantly in the last six weeks or so, and um, I think there are. Uh, opportunities there that, that are, uh, are worth exploring. So, uh. And um, what about over the longer term, if you sort of disregard the volatility here and now? I think there's there's kind of real value now in terms of, uh, in terms of sort of both aspects of those things that are, I, I sort of manage at the top level in my portfolios because, first of all, I think what's priced into uh, interest rate increases, um, particularly in, in, in the UK, looks really untenable and uh, and therefore um you know that part of the yield curve is likely to prove decent value over the over the longer term and and at the same time um the sort of compensation for credit risk is also definitely towards the more positive end of the of the range so that doesn't mean to say that in this sort of environment uh spreads can't go wider and things like that in the in the immediate future but over the long run uh, i think you are getting well paid in in that particular sort of part of the, uh, the credit world Okay, thank you. And, and Charlotte, how about you? So I suppose I slightly uh, regret not taking Ian's uh, <laughs> uh, stance on the interest rate risk piece, but but I have been long duration. And uh, the reason for that is that I think there are indicators that suggest inflation is falling or, and will begin to fall. The question, of course, for us is even if that proves to be correct at this stage, what parts of the sort of economic picture do the central banks choose to emphasize right now Uh, we all know that some of the housing inflation is very backwards looking we know that wages are starting to slow we know that the the labor markets are fraying even if the unemployment rate hasn't uh, significantly picked up and and so in a sense you know which parts they start to emphasize and we mentioned earlier that the central banks having to put their financial stability hats on as well and that is at odds with the tightening cycle. Um, they also need to wear their sort of unemployment hat in the US. So there's sort of three variables now that they're, that they're 
are high up on the agenda and and which ones do they choose to emphasize um my sense is that yields government bond yields have got extremely high and and that ultimately we're starting to hear a little bit of nervousness uh, certainly in the US and, and perhaps beyond around some of the non-inflation um developments uh, whether it be growth or financial stability so so I do think duration does make sense even though it's been been painful. Uh, I do think that some of the moves in the UK bond market have spilt over into other bond markets as well, so that some of that needs to come out. Uh, and on risk assets, um, again, the sort of the earnings outlook ca- can fall with with growth, but I think in the very short term, it, it is quite possible that we get a bit of a short short squeeze here, where ex- pessimism has become so extended. Anna, I'd like to pick up on the financial stability point that Charlotte um, mentioned, because the Bank of England, other central banks are having to become much clearer about the tools that they have available, aren't they? Can you just explain a little bit about how um, they are able to try to fix the plumbing um, within financial stability? Oh, there's a number of tools uh, that uh, we saw actually during COVID, um, repo facilities, swap lines uh, uh, rolled out by the Fed. Um, Well, we saw the emergency uh, buying program for long-dated guilds. Um, I think there is a number of things uh, and there's definitely uh, quite a strong view among policymakers out there now is that they actually do have a lot of tools and they can manage financial stability concerns, uh, especially those that are, that, that are not very systemic. Um, again, I think the issue is communicating that because you're tightening policy on the one hand um, and then... Uh, you have to do some stabilization on the other hand. Uh, and then things like um, uh, quantitative easing versus quantitative tightening, those messages clash because the, as the Bank of England started buying bonds, at the same time they were going to do QT, so selling bonds, and now they had to postpone uh, that decision. Uh, so certainly there's a lot of di- difficulty in implementing it but tools are certainly there taking away a punch bowl but bringing another fresh one at the same time it is confusing isn't it charlotte i think uh, this is the big problem now there's a there's a lot of issues that policymakers just cannot fix uh you can't fix financial stability and fight inflation particularly easily uh you can't alleviate the cost of living crisis without upsetting the bond market and hurting housing. All these, we we have lived in a world where policymakers on both the political side and the central bank side have been able to solve problems for us. It seems a little bit more challenged now. It's not so straightforward. You, You just can't do these things without other problems. And it sort of becomes a bit of a whack a mole situation. Um, and, and unfortunately, I think that probably continues for a bit longer oh, i was just gonna say yes of course i mean we need to just think back three years ago we didn't know about covid we didn't expect a war in europe um of course they, both those are real issues that involve real pain and um it's impossible to cure all with monetary policy and and we are seeing that coming through in the in the conflicts that uh, charlotte was just talking about so those are the issues that we know about now, difficult as they are to, to, to fix with um, uh, rather blunt um, tools, as you're, as you're pointing out. What's on your radar at the moment um, that you think investors um, should be aware of and perhaps um, that, um, that we're not aware of or not paying enough attention to? 
Look, I think it wasn't that long ago where the only thing we could talk about was the ECB and the use of TPI to protect the periphery. Uh, and I do find myself having a little niggle in the back of my head that says, oh, we're coming up to an ECB meeting. Is this the next? Are we going to jump back into that the as t- the next TPR's transmission protection instrument. Yes, this is where the ECB basically have committed to saying that if spreads or levels of Italian yields, we don't quite know which one they're looking at, uh, specifically become, as they see it, unjustified and therefore hindering their ability to to transmit policy uh they will step in and buy those um buy those bonds and protect italy really is, is what everyone's focused on and obviously they've got a new government so i do wonder because it might it could be an italy specific problem where they do something with the budget that that, that people don't like or it could just be the very simple fact that the ecb are raising rates and rates are getting higher and italy are high beta to that and, and they've got a lot of debt Ian, how about you? Yeah, I mean, I just think, yes, if we if we just look forward for the next few days, we can see various events that are potential causes of uh, of more instability. You know, we have um, uh, we have inflation data coming up in in the UK, which just seems to consistently disappoint and may continue to do so. We have um, a new budget coming at the end of October on Halloween, and um, uh, who knows you know where where that will lead and then straight after that we have the next federal reserve meeting where the only question is how far are they going to put up rates um with all that implies for sort of uh currencies relative to the dollar around the world and and the next day the uk having to respond to that so the bank what's, bank. what's funny about that um uh, and I'm, I'm looking for funny wherever i can find it nowadays but <laughs> you've actually mentioned um four things that are diarized we know exactly that they are that something is going to happen, but there's just so much uncertainty even around things Absolutely. that are planned, these planned events. Anna, Anna, what about you? I wanted to uh, mention the BOJ. Bank of Japan. One central bank we haven't talked about for such a long time, uh, for 10 years really, since they adopted the uh, yield curve control um, and kept rates uh, um, at the zero bound. I do think that... Um, Right now, uh, obviously, there is policy inconsistency between central banks, and the BOJ is the one that is sticking to uh, its uh, its its stance and its tools, pointing to uh, inflation, even though it's picking up and becoming broader. Uh, it's still mostly driven by um, headline components and less so by core. But there is a sense in the market and some nervousness in the market that they will have to exit from the yield curve control at some point. Maybe it's not imminent, uh, but when the time comes, and it might be next year, it will be exceptionally difficult, given how dominant they are in the market, uh, given all the dislocations that have happened there over the past few years. Um, And um, the implications for the rest of the bond market for, for uh, other yield curves might be pretty serious. Uh, there's a view that if the BOJ moves, that will unanchor and completely shift up all the yield curves, at least ac- across the developed market universe. So again, this is not a base case, at least not imminent, but definitely something to keep on the radar. Well, we're almost out of time, but not before we go to the rich pickings parlor game, hot cakes and hot potatoes, what would you buy like a hot cake or drop like a hot potato? Charlotte, your hot cakes, first of all. Well, I am going to stick with duration here. 
uh, government bonds because I do think we are getting to the point now where, as we've probably sensed from the tone of this uh, podcast, uh, there are so many potential hiccups that could undermine the um, sole focus on inflation and and hiking rates that I think we are at levels that um, are indicating there is an alternative. Uh, And so duration is the hot cake. Am I doing the hot potato now? Or am I waiting till other people do their hot cakes? Uh, No, um, uh, it's like in a restaurant, isn't it? Sometimes we do the the, the starters. and and then Yes, exactly. We're going to to do the main as well, please. Okay. Um, So actually within duration, I think I quite like Mexican government bonds as well because they're further through uh, hiking and inflation. So that's my specific one. And then hot potato, uh, maybe I should say actually Italian equities on a relative basis because uh, at least in the short run, um, if there is a wobble after ECB tightening and we are talking about TPI, I think Italian equities might take that quite badly. That's, uh, That's a development on that theme. How about you, Ian? Your hot cakes, first of all. Well, as we were talking about earlier, you know, with great volatility comes great opportunity as well but actually i'm i'm sort of on the same page as charlotte so there are no doubt some fantastic things in the world of sort of high risk investments but i'm i'm going to go safe i'm going to i never thought actually that i'd ever get to the point where i said you know index linked gilts look really interesting but for the first time in a long time you can guarantee a positive real yield and so i think you know if you want to park a bit of money sort of five year index linked with a positive real yield is is quite a safe bet um, and then I'm going to avail myself of something else because I did ask when I was warned about this question, can I have a hot cake and hot potato the same? And uh, I was looked at as though I was a bit mad. But but what I was going to say was on the same I'm, I'm same breath, look at you like that. longer term index linked um, may also be turn out to be a hot cake, but they are, as we know, extremely volatile. So, uh, you know, even as we're sitting here today on what is now a relatively calm day for the gilt market, they happen to be up three and a half percent today. Um and they can just as easily reverse that and multiple times they're over in the current environment. So you might want to buy those as well, but be aware they might just be a hot potato on some days. Keep an eye on the oven, it sounds like. (laughs) Okay, Anna, finally, coming to you, please. What are your hot cakes? I do like the US dollar. It has been, as we know, a um, uh, hot cake for a while. It has done incredibly well. It's very strong. It's upsetting many things in the world. But I think um, uh, I think we're not uh, at the turning point just yet. So the US dollar uh, versus a broad, broad basket, I guess. And on the other side, sort of the flip side of that, to some extent, is uh, emerging market debt. Uh, or emerging market currencies. I know it's hugely generalized and there are so many different emerging markets, uh, but the tightening in financial conditions driven by the Fed um, and the strong dollar is putting a lot of pressure and and, uh, the capital outflows are putting a lot of pressure on a lot of countries, particularly those with unsustainable debt levels. And I think we will start seeing uh, further stresses and more problems across EM soon. that's my big hot potato. Fabulous. Thank you very much to um, all of you. Now, before we go, I'd like to say thank you to the many listeners who took part in our survey over the summer. It was fantastic to get your feedback on what you like and what you don't. And we're going to be putting all of those ideas into the coming episodes. And you might remember that we put all of the responses into a prize draw. And the winner, I can reveal here and now, is Ken Inder, who's chosen to donate the prize to a charity, My Bank, written My BNK, which provides 
provides financial education programs for five to 25 year olds, a very worthy cause. And thank you again to everybody who took part. That's all the time we have for this month. Uh, thank you to Charlotte, to Ian, to Anna for joining me, to Andrew McCaffrey, and very much also to you for listening. If you'd like to read any more on the topics we've discussed today, please head to your local Fidelity website or fidelityinternational.com. The producer today was Holly Eastman with production support from Canon Blitz. But from all of us in the studio and at Fidelity, until next time, goodbye. This podcast is for investment professionals only and should not be relied upon by private investors. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is intended only for the person or entities to which it is sent. It must not be reproduced or circulated to any other party without the prior permission of Fidelity. The value of investments can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. For other important legal notices, please visit your local Fidelity website.